0: God is good. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, put your fingers on um, John chapter 4, verse 34. And I'm not going to go there right now. But John chapter 4, if you want to get ready with that, put your finger there. All right. See, God gives us these two mandates, and they're very simple <clears throat> love God, love people. Um, if you've been in the church for more than a, a week, we. Week or two or a month, you understand? You probably heard that behind the pulpit love God, love people. And we don't just love God because He's like some type of egotistical guy up in the sky that just has to have our worship. And it's what I shared earlier it's like the great exchange. When we worship God, it actually makes us look more like Him and reflect Him wherever we go. And we had this other mandate <clears throat> love people. We have to understand that loving people, that means that every person that we see is significant and has value. And it's just these two simple commands found in Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 22. And see, when we worship God, we always become a little bit more like him. It's just, his, it's just second nature, it's part of what happens. It's called the, the great exchange before our worship and looking like God. And one thing I, I believe is it's difficult to love people if we don't first do the first love God. And I can find this in Scripture when we look at Peter, and we know this story. Peter was like one a really good preacher. We can call him Pastor Peter if you want, but uh, many of us know this story where he denied Jesus three times, right? And many people came up to him right before Jesus was judged and cursed and crucified and rose again. And they said, you know, do you know this God? Do you, were you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no, no, three times. But sometimes we miss... God's heart on people that fall. We miss God's heart on people that maybe backslide or one of your favorite preachers on teacher, uh, pastors on Pioneer Network or, or one of the greatest shows you watch on YouTube or you stream, this pastor and this preacher, and they fell and they missed it. And doesn't it seem like sometimes automatically, like, look what they did, I can't believe that they have a million people in their church and look what they did, they fell, but, but if you look off, The heart of Jesus is actually quite the opposite. And we can find this in Peter. A a few chapters later, they have this conversation, and Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? Simple question. And Peter says, Yeah, I love you. I love you. And Jesus asks again, Peter, do you do you really love me? He says, Yes, God, you know all things. I love you. What's the third thing Jesus says? Feed my sheep. In other words, the first thing happened. He established his love back with the Father, with Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Then keep on preaching. It doesn't say stop. It doesn't say quit. It doesn't say you missed it. Uh, leave it up for the next person. It's reconciliation when he has this thing uh, with the love of the Father. And Jesus says, you love me. I want you to keep preaching. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep going. Effort. The righteous fall down seven times, but they get up again, right? We know that. And it's the same thing in in Isaiah. That's why Jesus keeps saying, come back to the first love. In Isaiah chapter 6, I believe I shared it um, several months ago, but I just love the passage of Scripture when Isaiah has this encounter with God. He's worshiping God. He's at the throne room. He's like, I beheld God. And all of a sudden, the Father and the Son have this conversation they're, they're wanting to send people into the harvest to win souls, and they have this. Come, and Isaiah overhears it, and what does he do? After he has this encounter, he says, "Here I am, Lord, send me." Now we can be an effective witness. We can. Oh, he put it up the harvest. We can win the harvest. We can win souls, with not really having a love relationship. I'm not telling you to stop evangelizing. But it's always going to be out of obligation to reach the lost instead of being compelled by love. It's always going to be a religious duty to, I got to go across the street and share Jesus with first. I really don't feel like it. I'm an introvert. This isn't me. I don't really want to do it. But until you have that love relationship with a father, it will never be compelled by love. And it'll always feel like you're hitting a wall and you'll be wondering why people aren't receptive. So I entitled this one this morning. It's harvest time. There's a scripture in Mark chapter in um, John chapter four, verse thirty-four. And if you have that out, well, but Proverbs sixteen four says God has made everything and every one for His purpose. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless they are first being drawn. In other words, he is part of the process. So, so if we have a love relationship with the Father, we can be in our prayer closet and say, Oh, there's Bob across the street, Lord. I just pray for his salvation. I know he doesn't know you. I know he's serving the devil right now. But Lord, would you work in his, in his heart? He's draw, As you're praying for Bob across the, across the street, God's going ahead of you, softening His heart, so that it's ripe for picking. So that when you go over there, and you say, um, "Would you ever want to come to to church with me someday?" I mean, I've really found that I loved you. And you'll be so surprised how ripe the harvest, how how ripe it is for the souls to be picking. But my mom has been witnessing like no tomorrow. She'll call me up like on a daily basis and like what she's been doing. And she was like. My goodness, when I start praying for people and then God sends me and I'm an obedient, you'd be so surprised how many people will say, "Yes, I want I want to hear about this Jesus. Would you tell me?" Verse 34, "My food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work." Don't you say, don't you have a saying still four months to harvest i tell you open up your eyes and look look at the fields as they are ripe for harvest we have a lot of sayings um, that we do and this one is like in bible times was four months to harvest we have to understand in the jewish culture our harvest time is different than their harvest time ours is usually around fall Um, theirs actually is now hence why i'm preaching about the harvest now but Jesus is trying to get the context here. You don't have to wait four months for the harvest. You don't have to wait for the big evangelist to say, um, in about one year, it's going to be the billion-soul harvest, and we're just going to wait for that because God's going to pour out a spirit, like, like it said in the book of Joel. But, but Jesus is trying to talk to his disciples and say, it's ripe now. It might not look like it's good for picking, but it's springtime, and the harvest is ripe. Are, are, are any farmers in here that... No farmers? Not one? Anybody that used to be in a farm? I oh, we have one. I saw Kurt. What was that you, Kurt? Long time, ago. Long time ago? Now, I didn't understand. Whenever I see, like, harvest time, I usually, like, shout and jump, and I'm just, like, this is great, it's harvest time. But when I, like, talk to, like, someone that has farmed, like Kurt, it, is harvest time, oh, I hope you give me the right answer, Kurt, is harvest time easier, or is it more work? Oh, See, when I say the harvest is plentiful, a lot of people will jump and shout and say, yes. But Kirk just said the harvest is so much. work. Why? Because the corn doesn't pick itself. The apple doesn't fall off the tree. Go in the basket and go to the supermarket for you to buy by itself. I always get a kickoff, like after Easter service and people come up to Pastor James. It's like, whew, that was good, wasn't it? Great Easter service, seven salvations. Meanwhile, Pastor James is sweaty, dizzy, worked up, tr- caught here about three o'clock in the morning. No one realized that he was plowing the fields for the harvest that was to gump. And him thinking, well, yeah, we got a harvest, but this was work. <laughs> Am I right? Come on. Multiple times he's in this in here, three, four, and five in the just journey and say, oh, every single Sunday could be a possibility for the harvest. And for someone that doesn't know Jesus to come into this place, four months until harvest doesn't mean wait four months. It means it's ripe now. When I'm talking about the harvest, sometimes I, you have to understand like the context. You, uh, let's say some, you know you see someone else's circumstance, and you're like, man, they've been going around the same mountain so many times. They've been holding this grudge and this... Um, unforgiveness for so long and they have this trauma that they experience when they're, and sometimes we can get to this mindset where we don't understand their context and we don't know how we would react if we would be in their circumstance if we would experience the trauma would we be where we are right now but if you understand the context of what people's lives are sometimes we'll have a better understanding and a long suffering to redeem people instead of persecute people and that's what I love about when Jesus said, Peter, you backslid. You didn't come to church for six months. You started dabbling in things you didn't do. But I would first just need to know, do you love me? And now I want you to just keep on preaching. You guys okay so far? So when I was, when I was thinking about souls and I'm thinking about the harvest and I'm thinking of how we need to to witness like i said earlier we can't get the harvest of the souls until we understand and realize that no one is an inconvenience there's times we might be driving down the road and god sees someone on the street we might be inconvenienced and have to turn around and share jesus with them i mean there's going to be a time i'm going to talk about hell hell behind the pulpit. And I have something stirring, and I know you, don't, you guys don't want to miss this one, because why would we talk about hell? Because if we understand the place of a reality that hell is in the belly of the earth and it's a real place, it would actually strengthen our witness that we wouldn't want one person to go there. Now, I'm not talking about hell this morning, but we have to understand. People say, why would a good God send people to this place? And we have to understand God is only good. Say, someone say, Only good. So if this place is a separation from God, where did the good stuff go with God? The reason it's so bad, because his presence isn't there. His dwelling isn't there. It's our choice not to want to be with his presence. It's people that rejected him. So that's why it's so bad, because it's the absence of light. Revelations 1, chapter 5 to 6, talks about, after Jesus resurrected, to give this commission, revelation, that we are called to be kings and priests forevermore. Verse 5 says, and then, and then and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Verse 6 says, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God, the Father. To him be the glory and power forever. Amen. Kings and priests. We remember, have to remember in the Old Testament, um, if you are a priest, you are allowed to go into the inner courts. You are allowed to go into the holy of holies of the temple. No one else was allowed to go there. And what the priests would do is, they actually could have a rope tied around their ankles, and it would be tied with a bell. So if they ever went into the holies of holies with, sin conscious or sin on their hearts or didn't have that spotless, you know, lamb, there was like a, there was something wrong. They actually could have been struck dead and people on the outside would have to drag them out by the rope until the next priest would be commissioned. Now I wouldn't be up for that promotion (laughs) to be, I don't know if anybody else here would want that job, but that's the difference between the old and the new. And the blood of Jesus, doesn't that make you love Jesus that much more? It says, boldly become, come to the throne room of grace. Yeah. When we realize how awesome our God is because of the cross, wouldn't it want to compel us to witness to the next person we come in contact with? The harvest is plentiful now. Joel chapter 3 verse 13 says this, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread. For the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. When evil is great, it says, put in the sickle for the harvest. Do you see the world today, how it's maybe getting a little bit darker? How maybe the culture, we haven't had too much as a church influence of the culture. Could it be that we're not influencing the culture? Maybe the culture is influencing the church. So the, the Bible teaches us it's ripe when it gets darker. Darkness isn't even a thing. It's the absence of light. So the reason that it's getting darker is because of the absence of light. Who are called to be the light of the world? Hello, me and you? When I went to missions uh, in, with youth with a mission, I spent like a lot of money, like thousands. Like I don't know, was, By the end of it, it was like $10,000. But it was like all I've had saved up. My parents helped me. But it, but it was like a five-month thing. And, and at the end of it, um, throughout of it, me and my wife, girlfriend at the time, were talking pretty much all the time on WhatsApp, you know, getting to know each other <laughs> from a distance, you know. Go figure. It's the same how my dad and mom did it. My dad, Susie, so they said, oh, we're dating now, he goes off to India. It's interesting how I did the same thing. But I remember at the end of it, I scraped all this money together because I wanted to get her an engagement ring. And I got one. And it's beautiful. She's still wearing it. Didn't ter- turn her finger green. <laughs> it's good. Like the quarter didn't get stuck in the machine. I got, <laughs> some of you younger ones don't. There's like jewelry plastic in like those quarter machines. You put them in, and sometimes it gets stuck. Oh, it's always been a joke. No, no, it's it's valuable. But I remember she first when we first met, she saw like my checking account. It was like two dollars and ninety-seven cents because I just spent everything. Thank God she doesn't. You know, it's not not about the money. Made me feel good. But, but we've been contemplating. You know, we're going on five years now. I got to get her. Let's, let's get something like like nicer. And we, you know, we go to the you know you go to the jewelry store whenever you're doing a bracelet or rings or something like that. The wor- what does the worker do? They bring out the black velvet, you know, and they put it on the case. Why? So the diamond shines brighter. So in the dark places, even in the time frame that we're living in now, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be disappointed. It's harvest time. Souls are now being receptive to hearing the good news of the kingdom. And John chapter 4, verse 4 kind of gives us an example of this of that it's, it's the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan, right? Now, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, they actually didn't like them. It had a lot to do with the separation of the tribes of Israel, and they didn't have no dealings. They didn't even talk to each other when they crossed paths. You know, they wouldn't go to the well at the same time. Like, they didn't want anything to do with anything. But here's God's heart. As that was getting darker and their, their conflict was increasing, Jesus was commissioned. He was in Judea, and he was supposed to go to Galilee, which is pretty much northeast. And what, you would, what he was supposed to do was hop on, what would they do from Judea? Hop on the Jordan River and take the boat up north to where Galilee, where, where, um, Galilee is, where we were supposed to go. But the scripture tells us in John chapter 4, verse 4, that says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now remember, Jesus only did what he heard the Father say. So the Father had to be saying, You need to go to Samaria. His disciples were like, no, we're not going through Samaria. We gotta go to that's the next thing on our mission to go to Glutton Jesus said no. Jesus could have went on the boat and took the easy ride up to the river to where he was, thought he was supposed to go on his next assignment, but God redirected him. Now to get to Samaria, it was a mountainous range. And he just went for one miles and miles away. Well, he could have been the inconvenience one. He could have been like, oh, this is just my salvation, just me, myself, and I. I'm going to slip into heaven. I'm going to worry about my next door neighbor. So miles and miles, Jesus goes north to Samaria for this one woman. And God, God redirected him. <clears throat> Verse 31 says this. It says, Meanwhile... This is as he was having a conversation with the Samaritan woman. By the way, when you stop for one, you'll never know what happens. When she had one encounter with Jesus, she went into an entire city and preached the good news. (laughs) The Father knows this. Sometimes we don't know what we're getting into or what we're doing, but the Father knows. Sometimes we have hardships in life. Like, what in the world is absolutely going on? I'm not going to go share the God. This guy's been cursing Jesus for like 10 years. No thanks. I'm going to go where, where it's easy. I'm going to go in the church and do the salvation calls as a pastor because that's the easy one because I don't have to talk to nobody. <laughs> Verse 31, and the disciples are out like, Jesus, you haven't eaten forever. You need to eat. Verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I'd like interrupts his conversation with this woman. But Jesus replies, I got food that you don't know about. I got nourishment for my soul that you don't know about. See, see, the disciples were like next meal minded. Jesus was harvest minded all the time. Harvest minded. The one who wins souls is wise, Proverbs says. He got satisfied by winning the lost. Is anybody like not satisfied with their walk with Jesus? Statistics actually say that 80% of believers will never share the gospel with anyone. That's, that's a big number. It's an alarming number. The disciples were always asking like when's the next activity? What's the thing we can do next? What's the current Netflix show we got to get hooked on? <laughs> Who should I get in a relationship? I got to get married. Who should I be in a relationship with, with next or what's the next crisis I have to solve but Jesus was always like, what's the next assignment to win those that don't know me? Do you have an assignment? Has there been someone the Holy Spirit has been putting on your heart to share with? Trust me, in your inner closet, pray for those people because God's going to go ahead of you and ripe it for picking. This is why maybe some fellow church members might not get you here. Might not understand why you don't want to put your kid in every single sports event that's out there. They might not understand why you don't want to go to the movies with them all the time, or you don't want to yeah, yeah. They might understand when you get this kind of down in the on the deep end, what you're actually here to do, what your actual assignment and your purpose is, your adventure, people might not get you. That's why Jesus always sent people out two by two. Paul always needed that Barnabas. Paul needed Silas, James and John, the ark, two by two. What happens? Well, when you're in that, when you have somebody alongside you that's fellow Christ like or fellow minded, they can actually lift you up and catapult you. When one's down, the other one won't be up. When the one's witnessing you, be like, eh. you might start the conversation, but I'm good at fitness. You've got to find that Barnabas in your life. You also gotta find that Timothy, right? Someone that you can sow into, someone that might not be spiritually where you're at right now. You gotta find that Timothy. Who's that Timothy in your life right now that you can sow into? And who's the Paul? Who's the Paul you can draw from? The one with the wisdom and the, uh, the one that has the understanding, the one you can trust with that, kind of the inner things, the deep secrets of your life to, that you can share, hey, how did you get through this? Or how do you actually be an effective witness? Those three are what you have to have in your life. And, Check out Matthew chapter 9. I like this. Matthew chapter 9. Right about verse 35 if you have your Bibles. And that should be on the screen behind me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction. That actually kind of gets you the understanding of um, God's will is to heal every disease and every affliction. Verse 36: when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Remember that word, compassion for them. Not ob- obligation, it was compassion. My God, my Lord God Almighty, what, what would it be if he had compassion for the lost like Jesus did? My goodness. He's moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. One more time, verse 38. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. It's very interesting. Why didn't he pray? Why did God commission us to pray for the harvest? He actually commissioned us to pray for the laborers. Because he knows the 80% statistic. (laughs) He's well aware that we'll be more comfortable in this country i always always ask god you know why do i have the privilege of being in the united states and, and you know, i felt what the holy spirit put on my heart he said that's not necessarily a privilege it's the ones that don't have everything or the ones that are crying out to him so in the united states you know, we got to pray for the laborers we got to pray for the, at that 80 percent to to decrease right so it doesn't necessarily pray for the harvest The harvest is already plentiful. People are already there. There's already people that need Jesus. It's those that are in the church that know Jesus to be the laborers. And I love that there. So God wants us to pray and intercede, of course, for the laborers that will take up a cross and walk. I don't know about you, but I was just kind of thinking, like, I want to make it very difficult for people in Lancaster to go to hell. (laughs) Like, make it a challenge. Like, they have to. They, they hurt Jesus so many times. They have to. Like, it has to be hard, right? So, how do we know? Like, we're pastor talked about the end times recently, a few um, sermon series back. Or, um, the last sermon series before his messages about end. How do we know we're in the end times? If you know our Bible, things happen in threes. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days. Peter denied Jesus three times. Christ was dead, resurrected on the third day. So there's something about three when something magnificent happens a breakthrough, something powerful. We have to understand, Jesus has a special heart for babies for little ones. As a matter of fact, there's a very severe scripture that says if you ever cause a little baby or hurt a little one to stumble, it'd be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Here's how I know we're in the later. Do you remember remember back Pharaoh took all the two-year-olds and drowned them into the Nile River? He was messing with the babies. God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Do you remember Jesus? King Herod got word that there might be a Savior or a Messiah that the Jewish people were believing in, coming and being birthed. What did he do? Had all the ones, two and under, and the kids killed. Don't mess with the babies. And then Jesus became that deliverer, Right? This is not to condemn anybody that had an abortion or anything. God is redeem. trust me, God's redeemed that far from the east as went into the west. But let me just tell you, 60 million have lost their lives at abortion. Do you think God isn't raising up deliverers right now to make that right? But here's what's been prophesied. It's not going to be individual like a Moses. It's not going to be the individual like Jesus. It's going to be the one that don't bow their knee to Baal. It's the ones that you and me that say, here I am as Isaiah, send me, Lord. And he's going to, as 60 million babies were killed, do you imagine the number of deliverers God is raising up? Do you imagine the remnant? Do you guys feel the Holy Spirit pulling on you right now that you could be a part of it? Malachi chapter three says there's a book. It's called the Book of Remembrance. There's a book actually in heaven for every soul that you win and will be rewarded by it. There's big rewards from snatching people out of hell. I mean, for real, for real? Uh, Worship team, come, come, because I have like five more pages, don't worry. Bible says in John chapter 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's a pretty profound statement. That just makes me think. If we can do the same works that Jesus did and the Bible says nothing is impossible with Jesus, we got a lot of power on the inside of us. We got the same power, what, to raise Jesus from the dead living on the inside of us? Come on, the harvest is plentiful. Stand with me, stand with me if you can. But the laborers are few. So I want to pray right now before we worship, I want to pray for the laborers. (laughs) That's for us. We got to be compelled by love. We can't bypass the one because that could be the woman at the well that preaches Jesus to the nation. Father, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice. Father, that you would tug on our hearts we got to love because we know that you first loved us you sacrificed everything to redeem us so we got work to do and father we just repent because it's it's so easy just to sit on the sidelines and not be in the game on the on on the field doing your work but we repent now lord god we're going to turn from our ways and starting this week we are commissioning ourselves even as a, a, a pastor right now that we're going to share the gospel with at least one person this week. Can you guys commit with that? Commit to that with me? No, I'm serious. Don't commit to it if you don't want to commit. Just one person. I'm going to share. God's going to, Holy Spirit right now is going to put that person on your heart and I want you to do it. So we say yes to that. One person this week, we're just going to share Jesus regardless of the outcome. Because the corn ain't going to pick itself. Vegetables ain't going to come out of the fields itself. We gotta, We got to get the manure off. Clean them up, get them into the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody, come just as they are. In Jesus' name, we commit to that to you right now, Lord. We're going to do it. It's time. The harvest is plentiful, Father. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you for the word this morning. You're going to compel us to go. Set us ablaze. Set us on fire. Move mightily, Lord. You said, Father, lay up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves can't break it up and steal. We're set up some things in heaven, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, stay. Holy Spirit, move. So we say this morning, I choose to be that deliverer. In Jesus' name, amen.